Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 559 with Leslie Martin. I think you shouldn't diminish the fact that a potential property owner will be inspired by your passion. And I feel like, because I did not have good credit, I don't even think I had, I think I was a ghost when I opened the place. Now I know times have changed with that, but ultimately I think that they took a risk on me. I never owned a restaurant. I didn't have credit. I was just a waitress because they knew that I had the drive. And I think they were really impressed by the, the yes. And I think you should, don't, don't be afraid to communicate that to someone because ultimately that drive is what's going to take you through thick and thin. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicsuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. Cashflow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Leslie Martin. Leslie, I got to ask, are you feeling unstoppable today? Today. Today. Ask me tomorrow. It might be different, but today. I'm happy I'm here today then. <laughs> In the summer of 2000, owner Leslie Martin took her passion for the artsy cafe and love of the service industry and started Bolden Creek Cafe, a 700-square-foot shack. 18 years later, Bolden Creek remains one of the most popular vegetarian restaurants in the country, employs 95 people, supports animal and human rights organizations, promotes local artists, and works hard to be as eco-friendly as possible. Uh, Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. This is not doing you justice. I can't wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? This is really cheesy, but I'm going to say teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) Oh, teamwork makes the dream work. An oldie, but a a classic. It's a good one. But it's true. It's so true. Uh, Really dive into that. Dissect it a little bit. There's nothing like that feeling you get when you work in a restaurant and and all all engines are firing and everybody's got each other's back. Yeah. And being an owner, you know, a working owner, I feel like that is something that I can contribute that maybe some people don't know, don't contribute because I'm actually on the floor with the workers and I like that we don't really have that 
I like that too. And, and honestly, I think we do need more uh, restaurants where there's working owners because we get into this industry because of the work, right? Because we love the work and we need to create, we, we're kind of talking about this a little bit during the, the pre-interview chat. You need to create those systems, processes, procedures, protocols, so you can get away for your mental health, health, your mental health every once in a while. But ultimately we get into this industry because we love the work we do, right? right. Everybody needs a break. But uh, if, if you're getting into this industry for any other reason other than loving the work i feel like don't get into our industry i also feel like people who make decisions that affect the workers and the systems need to understand the systems and if you're just sitting in an office yeah or you don't do the work you're not going to know you're not going to make the best decisions you're going to drive your team crazy but there is something energizing about connecting with your team too i love it awesome way to get this thing started so Bring it to where it all started for you. When did you fall in love with the hospitality industry? Since my first restaurant job, always been the one that would be making up the ideas, you know, going to the boss. Have you ever thought of this? Have you, what if we change this? What if we clean this? What if we remodel the bathroom this way? Put the tables over here. Offer this product. Um, I've always taken a lot of pride. For, I don't know where that comes from, but a lot of pride in the place that I work, no matter what it was. And... Um, but I would say when I worked at Magnolia, I really got good at serving, but it was so high volume and I had little experience. So I was kind of getting my butt kicked most of the time. So, so much of my focus was on keeping up. And then when I opened the, when I opened this place down the street, I really started out slow. I was really able to take all the skill set and really hone it in. And I really liked being able to remember people's drinks and being yeah. able to bend over backwards for them because I had time. Yeah. And I, because I was kind of struggling to keep up when I was waiting tables, I didn't know. I didn't really have time to like really delve into that. What when do you I, mean by that? I was just trying to keep get, make sure I didn't make mistakes on the orders and make sure that I got to the table in time and then the manager wasn't mad at me and all that stuff. So, so you weren't focused on the actual hospitality of things. You were focused on the, the motions of keeping up. And, and definitely I job. feel like my personality is such that, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say that I was rude or anything like that and that I didn't enjoy interacting with people. It was just more, I was just stuck in the like grind of getting it done yeah. and making sure I didn't fall behind because you have pretty large sections and it's high volume. and um, <clears throat> But... But I had learned a lot about staying busy, about keeping on top of things, about making sure and getting things correct and how I could be prepared for yeah. a rush and all that. Those little technical things. So I had learned those so well working there. And I, I really feel like so fortunate to have worked there because I feel like they really taught me how to be a good worker. Yeah. So let's, let's backpedal a little bit because you're sure. talking about Magnolia. This is around 96. You opened Bolden Creek in 2000, uh, but you got into the industry during our pre-interview chat. We just... we dialed it into like the 90 like 1990 right um and then you went to kirby lane which was a past guest on the show uh which you know between your first gig which was a burger joint right you probably didn't learn that much there your second gig was at kirby lane you said that at that time they were still kind of scaling up into what they are today right and it was at magnolia that you really learned the most and you evolved the most as a professional but was there any lesson before Magnolia, anything that's worth bringing up now, uh, things you learned about yourself or from a mentor that's worth diving into? 
I'm trying to think. I mean, besides the fact that I hate school, so I had, <laughs> I like really didn't. I was like, maybe I'll go to grad school, but I was so stressed out in college that I was like, I just don't think I'm cut out for that. Um, so that kind of kept me, you know, thinking. And then I wouldn't say like a mentor, but um, I was lucky enough to work in local places where you had a lot of regulars. Why? Probably because I'm a strong-willed person, and I probably was more attracted to the locally owned places. I probably was not in, not as inclined to work at Applebee's or yeah. Chili's or something like that. What was the scene like in Austin at that time? Was that I amazing? Mean, were there a lot of local scenes, or was it mostly uh, corporate at that time? Back in the 90s? I would say there was more corporate places, but the local scenes were really thriving. Mm. Okay, and they were very much more underground than they are now. Like, this place looks like, I don't know, the Hilton compared to, like, what it was like the back shack. then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the places that all the local places had, I felt like the vibes were really intense. Everything, you know, 24 hours, people going to Kirby at 2 o'clock in the morning after seeing shows. You see all your friends. The scene was so much, the community was so tight-knit back then that everywhere you went, you see people you know. And the local places were because there weren't as many, everybody was going, yeah. you know? Yeah. So bringing it back to Kirby, um, anything you learned about not uh, how not to be? Because uh, Kirby is kind of an institute today. But even, I mean, I had Mason on the show, and even he said that dialing back, going back in time, there was a kind of a, an era where they were really struggling, and there was a lot of different people weighing in. It was kind of mayhem within the family. Uh, and like he's since put order in place and kind of scaled Kirby into what it is today. What was it like for you, reflecting back at that time, things that you took that were positive influence or, or even negative influences? One of the main things as far as restaurants go that I learned from there is that you really have to invest in the training. Uh, I think that was where the big clincher was that they because they weren't training well, people weren't set up for success. Okay. And they were losing people. They were constantly had a lot of turnover um, and people weren't trained. And I remember working you know, late so- nights managing and the cash you were a manager at Kirby, right? Mm-hmm. You went from cashier manager. And what was the flow? Was it uh, was it counter service or was it full no, service? It was full service, but okay. they had a cashier. It was weird. You could pay at the table or you could cash out at the cashier and then the cashier took care of all the phone the phone in orders okay. and then they cashed out the customer. I think they they don't have that system anymore, but um and I think they haven't had that for a while, but at the time that I worked there, there was a cashier and you bagged to go orders and cashed customers out if they didn't want to wait for the server okay so what was it like when people got hired they did just kind of like throw them to the wolves and see if they could handle pretty much i don't think they had a training system down and when i worked there they had a lady it was kind of an interesting idea she pretty maybe had high hopes but she (laughs) they had hired her and her she was supposed to be starting a training program where everybody learned every station everybody learned every station she was implementing it you would have a day cooking you would have a day dishing like everything and turned out she was just sitting in her office talking on the phone and never (laughs) implementing anything and i think that's when it started to kind of get really hectic there but at this time is when you started to kind of phase out where you said you were there for four years right yeah i was there for four years um and then i said the f word to a manager and i was gone (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh you spent some time in mexico i think remember saying you were uh, learning spanish you came back and you got a job at Magnolia, which was the parent or the sister company of Kirby, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, how was that experience different? This is kind of where you 
hinted to me that you really evolved into the, the person you are or were to open your own place. So how I, did you transform during this time? I felt like the management at Kirby and the, it was just very organized and very pretty strict. And I had kind of gone in there also lying about my serving experience since <laughs> I kind of skipped that part. And so at the, like I said, at the time there weren't a lot of locally owned places. So they had like 400 million applications for wow. serving there because everybody wanted to work there because it's all the cool kids work there. And, you know, so you don't have to wear a uniform and all that stuff. And so, uh, and they allowed, you know, freaks to work there. So I, um, basically couldn't let on that I was struggling and I was struggling because I, I got like the quick training because I was a manager so you, and you were struggling at the job basically at the job was, okay so I was having a hard time keeping up and they really you know the fact that they kind of laid down the law and were very strict about how you know keeping up and getting things right I had to shape up really fast and let's let's paint this picture. What were you struggling with? What was your biggest challenge? I'm gonna try to move timing. The, you're leaning to the left, so I'm gonna oh, move sorry. the mic over. No, you're good. I want you to be comfortable. Is that comfortable? Get in there. Yeah, I think it was timing. <laughs> yeah. learning how to maintain a like that level of hospitality that you're trying to get with someone in a high volume place. Like I couldn't get away from the tables. So yeah. you liked you liked the high touch. You you, you would like you'd stick to the table, whereas you would needed to, to be better maybe with tam, time. Yeah, management. there's a way to do both, and I know how to do it now. But okay. at the time, I was like, I didn't know how to politely excuse myself from the table and take care of someone else and get back. So I would stay at one table for too long, and then the next guy was flagging the manager down, saying, "Hey, we never got our check or whatever." So I had to learn that timing, and I actually asked the manager, and she refused. She she just basically was like how long have you been serving? And I lied and said a long time. And she said, well, then figure it out. Cause they, they don't have time to teach you how to be a server there. They require experience and they don't have time. So even though Magnolia was far more organized structured, they still didn't quite have that training program either. They weren't really onboarding. No, they that. do. They're just not going to teach you how to be a server. Okay. They'll teach you like, this is before we didn't have a POS. We had to learn shorthand mm -hmm. for all the items. We had carbon copy tickets. One goes here, one goes there. And, I felt like for me, the hardest part of doing that was the paper pushing. I, I would get disorganized when it came to one. I got to put the ticket here and then put my back ticket here. And yeah. one goes here for the customer. Next thing I know, the whole ticket went there and no orders coming out. And not, I think if we had had a POS back then, I probably would have done a lot faster. Yeah, but right. I wasn't, <laughs> I was, I had a hard time with that. The receptionist part of the job. It's like, what is, what is all this paper pushing that I'm doing? But, um, and then learning just how to be polite and also let people know, hey, it's not rude to say I have some other guests to attend to. Yeah. And I think know? that was kind of where I wanted to take the conversation next. You said that you got better at it. So how did you craft that ability to uh, – I saw it the other day I was at a restaurant and somebody – the guest just kept on going and going and going. You could tell that the, the server was like – slowly trying to turn away but they didn't want to be rude so like what how, how what is that that um what's the word i'm looking for that craft how does what did you learn now what are some tricks i actually you asked those? a friend okay because <laughs> i remember i told the manager at dinner they have so many questions I'll, i remember exactly and that's when she asked me you know she basically said you should know how to deal with that by now in your career as serving and so i asked a friend what do you do and they just said you say Pardon me, I'll be right back. And okay. you don't open up 
window for them. You don't ask. Yeah. That's, I think that's the thing. Like we look for uh, approval sometimes. Yeah. And in the service industry, you need to be leading. You can't let the guest lead. Uh, you need to be confident, right? You need and, to kind of set confidence. the pace. And that's, right? that's what I learned is that if they see me immediately go to the next table and I'm actually working and helping somebody and I efficiently come back to them, they're not going to be mad. Yeah. I mean, there might be that one person that wants to hold you there. No, you're going to stand here until I figure my whole order out. But most people understand. And as long as they see you working. Not everybody's worked in the restaurant industry. Not everybody knows that you're under the gun, that you have multiple guests to take care of. Or maybe they just have Asperger's. I mean, they don't want to see you out the, <laughs> through can't. the window smoking a cigarette. Yes. But if you're at another table exactly. getting a drink order, they're not yeah, going to be so. like, my service was terrible. Um, and the other thing that I learned is like, you can say the right words. Say the nice words. Before everything, because then it what comes do you mean off. by that? Save the nice, say the nice words before everything. Give me an example. I just always say, you know, absolutely, no problem. Um, I know there's some. I've heard that people don't like you to say the word problem because, oh, yeah. but it insinuates that it would be a problem. Yeah, but I think I think people. I think you get the point. Yeah, that's honestly. a little bit too. Much, I mean, I get whether I get. But the point is, from. I try to say upbeat, positive wording. So that if my body language or the movements or things that I have to do come off brash by well, accident, yeah. that I've covered my bases. Because I want everybody to feel welcome and I want everybody to feel like they, they have my full attention. But sometimes I got to you know, share myself with someone else. So I learned that from when I worked at the when we had our other location because it was counter service and we get super long lines. So Leslie keeps on saying uh, other location and what she uh, means is the original, original location. location which, no, it's fine. Which is, was down the street. The, the, it was literally a shack from what I can yeah. gather from what I read online. Um, so maybe we can trans transition to how the vision or how you went about opening your first restaurant, your first cafe. Uh, but any other takeaways from Magnolia on how they did things right or any big mentors or lessons from this time of your life we can drop on the listeners before moving on to the next stage of your life? I mean, some of the things that I learned there, the importance of consistency. Okay. When it comes to, you know, if you're not talking about just the hospitality aspect, you're talking about the product. Consistency is really important. I'm constantly keeping on the, you know, not micromanaging because obviously not that, but somebody who's always paying attention to the details. So they had a manager who beat me across the room. Uh, those nachos are missing green onions. Yeah. They may cross the room. Yeah. You know? And just constantly keeping someone watching that stuff. Everybody was well-trained. So it was, there was, we were always trying to make yeah. it the same every time. Can you go a layer deeper? I feel like sure. we like consistency is something that we can all agree on that. It's really important within your restaurant, but what's one thing that we can do to become more consistent? One thing you picked up from them, a, a, a system or a way to check or bounce consistency. They hold everybody accountable. Accountability is like, so that's something right there. It, yeah. it's, it's not just having the systems for consistency, consistency, but also the culture of this is what, like when you aren't consistent, there is a like a little bit of a backlash or a price to, to pay, right? So or I don't know if I'm Absolutely. using the right words, but no. explain it better than I can. I think that the whole first of all, they had <clears throat> because they had the consistency and the accountability, they held on to employees. So they always had a lot of employees who had worked there a while who knew the system. Wait, how do, how does consistency and account- accountability re- turn into or translate into retention? 
of employees. Because the opposite of that is extremely frustrating. And I think when, it, when people know what's expected of them, they're more likely to enjoy their job. Yeah. You see, you're touching on a really interesting point. A lot of people, I feel like, shy away from systems, processes, procedures because they feel like it's clammy, right? But at the same time, those systems, processes, procedures help people know when they're doing their job right. So one time so- someone told me, and I thought this was really interesting. They said, when you hold people accountable and you set the systems up for them, for the kind of more mundane things, you allow them to be creative in the other, in other areas. Yes. Because Instead of wasting why? their creative energy trying to figure out a system for something that should already be laid out. So you lay out the ground rules and then they can have fun little... Why does, that, why does it work out that way? Do you know? I have some theories, some ideas, but I want to hear from you first. I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I, I mean, I've, ha- I've had people tell me like that I should invest in other creative outlets so that I don't drive people crazy because <laughs> with this becoming my main creative outlet and always changing. And, yeah. And so I think people, I think it's in human nature for people to want to explore their creative side and want to come up and improve yep. things and want, you know, everybody has different ideas. And so, but when you're dealing with, in particular, in places where you have people with strong personalities, I think it's important to get everybody on the same page. I th- to, to compound off of what you were explaining earlier, and I love that line that you're saying, when you give people the systems and the resources and, and the ways to do things, it helps them redirect the energy to better places. When you don't have consistency in systems and processes and procedures, you're you have to create your own, right? right? And that's lost energy. But if you right. create, if you put your own energy into standardizing these things, those things become habit for everybody else. And now when you have habit, your brain literally works a lot less hard because it's exactly. not even thinking about it. Exactly. It's all programmed. And that freedom of new energy goes into maybe uh, engaging with the guest. Right. right. Or a networking guest. That's exactly. something that I really like. Like, hey, networking oh, guest. What's PS, that? For example, this guy plays banjo. Oh, I like country music. Oh, interesting. Have you guys ever met? Or, you know, remembering even that, yes. you know? Why is that important? Because that's the whole point of it. Otherwise, it's just coffee and it's community, sandwiches. Right? It's I'm like, so happy that so you're saying this. The rest is like, what's the point? I mean, you can serve, you can get food anywhere, right? You, you know, can make food at home. I'm I mean, happy. Sorry, did I no, cut you short? No. I'm so happy you're saying this because I. What, the cool thing about being on the road now is I get to go into the restaurants and kind of, I, you know, a restaurant will come on my radar. I'll go in and kind of sit down and check it out and, and experience it, right? And I think that um, one thing that's very clear about what you got going on here at Bolden Creek is that there's a sense of community and there's a very s- specific demographic of people that are being served. Yeah. People that kind of relate with each other. Um, is that intentional or do you think I'm swinging and missing or no, I mean that, I mean the reason for that is that was the reason for opening. What was the reason for opening to create community, to network Mm. people, to give people a place that was a, that inspired their creative side. Mm -hmm. The food part was just, I mean, honestly, I would have just opened a straight coffee shop because I'm kind of a coffee shop junkie. I like hanging out in coffee shops. Uh, Less so now because everybody's on the laptop. <laughs> yeah, right. I liked it back in the day when people were playing chess and you shared tables and and smoke cigarettes. I don't, but it was, I like to hang out with the people that did because they were usually writing books and interesting things that I enjoyed being around. But um, at the time, things have changed now, but at the time, all the coffee shops that we had were just coffee. There was no food. 
now be, I, I'm assuming it's because it's so much more expensive to own something. You can't make as much money just selling coffee. So a lot of most of the coffee shops have either a food truck or some option for they serve food. Um, so I only opened, decided to serve food just as a, a way of like competing because I was like, there's already coffee shops. What am I going to do different? So when did you have, first of all, I just want to praise you for recognizing the significance of building community and realizing that it's not just about the food. I think a lot of people get into the restaurant industry because they love the food, but mine was the total opposite, even though like I didn't know how, I didn't know how to cook. I, I didn't know any of that, but I was like, I want to bring people together, to have this. I had a vibe, a feeling that I wanted people to feel when they came in and I wanted it to be, I mean, you say safe space now, but it wasn't really called that, but a place where people would want to go when they feel down or they want to be around people or need to feel inspiration Mm. or want to go somewhere where. Where the people know community. you, remember your dreams. You're describing like, community. That's what we're, yeah. we're tribal people. We need one another. We need people to go to. We need a place that we can call our own, right? Uh, to have these people to talk to. The, all the things that you were the the, the picture you were painting before. Um, when did you have this idea to open your own place? When did that even come into the picture? Well, there's kind of a famous story that there was a really cool cafe over on Twenty uh, Fourth Street in San Antonio where there's a Starbucks now, <laughs> but um, it was. Uh, Is that over here? You took you took a right and you go up the street. It's actually on the left. near campus. Okay, okay. So it's over by campus. Back when I lived here, campus area, everything kind of centered around campus and downtown. It's all so much more spread out now. Like South Austin was in the boonies when I lived here, but um, when I moved here, but. This coffee, this place was called Les Amis, and it was this kind of like Euro style sidewalk cafe. And that was the first time I had coffee that I was like, wow, this is really good. Yeah. But mostly it was There's just more really Folgers, cool vibe. Right? <laughs> Small menu, but really cool artsy vibe. And that's crazy it- bathrooms. I'll never forget that. But um, it just had the super underground. And the people that worked there were interesting. The service sucked, but it was. But you didn't go there for that. You went there for the, the community and the energy that it had. And it it closed and the Starbucks opened. And then it became, I just started noticing like a lot of the little local places were going out of business. And it was becoming a little more expensive to live here. And I thought, well, the only way to preserve that culture that attracted me to Austin in the first place is to put it back. To do something to put about it, back. it. I love that mentality of people who seem to make it in this industry. Uh, there's a lot of people, uh, generally speaking, that will point to something and say, somebody needs to do something about this. I mean, right? it's harder and harder now because it's so expensive. But back, but I you're was the lucky. person that did something about it, right? To preserve the culture, to preserve, to create a place for relationships, right? And there is that kind of that stigma with big corporations and franchises of it being a very transactional experience where you come there to get what you want. They give it well, to you I think and, that and when it never you, goes beyond that. When people talk to you about when opening a business, that's never like part of your business plan. There's no line on like people are going to come three times a day because I'm going to remember them and I'm going to re- ask them about their dog. And you know, it, did you get your heat fixed or whatever? Yeah. And in the winter and they, that's going to bring someone in more than once a week. I mean, when I worked at Magnolia and it was very busy, Someone that came once a week was a regular. Here, they come in three, three, four times a day. Come in for a coffee, come back at lunch, they're popping in. And I think we, there's a term for it now, they call it the third place. But ultimately, that's kind of, I didn't know that that's what I was going for, but that is what 
Which is kind of funny doing. because I think I'm pretty sure it was Starbucks that coined that, and it you're is. saying that it you is. didn't. It is, and you didn't get that experience at Starbucks. Well, which- I at the time I was <laughs> against corporate coffee, but yeah. Now I think about it now, and I think that the coffee shops that we have, even this place and other ones that I frequent, I hate to say they have Starbucks to thank, but there was a, there was a time where people weren't going to go in and spend three four dollars I mean, on a cup of coffee and like hang out. That just wasn't a thing. Was it, it's Schultz, right? That's the name of the the founder. With something Schultz. I, I think that's his last name. I'm but I'm not sure. I don't. I don't follow so much, but I do know they are. He's they are come the out third and said people. he's come out and said that we aren't what we used to be. You know, and I think that you give up a certain human element when you scale things because you need all that consistency. When you, there, I mean, consistency is good. Systems, processes, procedures is good. And we use those to do all the things we talked about previous. But there is going too far but, where, right. you, where you strip the human element because to, be on a, to, to do things on a massive scale, you need an extreme amount of consistency. But like I said, it, there's a certain like, balance. Like, you give away a certain amount at the same time. I also feel like consistency is great if you have a great – if it's consistently great. Yeah. But when you're doing a consistently subpar thing just to make it faster. I think a lot of it has to do with the volume. And I don't know much how you – I don't know. I don't deal in those Yeah, you know, I hear you. Let's bring it back like to your that. story though. So, but, but definitely I feel like it's funny that I didn't mention the third place. I know they did count, coin that. But – I do sometimes say, well, if it weren't for Starbucks, we wouldn't have these little coffee shops because no one would have the nerve to open just a coffee shop. But they showed that people will go in and spend $4 on a cup of coffee. And you could potentially, speaking of business plans, make a business out of that. Yeah. We can learn a ton from the big guys. I mean, they they can teach us a ton if we study them, if we go to work for them. We can take those elements of consistency of systems, of processes, and then plug them into our very intimate space. Um, So bringing it back to your story... When did you start to live intentionally to make your vision come to fruition? Let's see. So it was 2000 when you opened. Yeah. So when I, after, when I was working at Magnolia, I guess towards the end, I was like, okay, I got to figure out, am I going to be doing this forever? I'm going to do grad school. Like, what am I going to do? And so I decided on grad school. And again, I was still thinking I wanted to learn Spanish. I really wanted to be fluent and I still hadn't gotten there. And so I was studying with a Peruvian Spanish teacher, just private lessons for fun. And I ended up going to Peru for a year. And I studied for the GRE when I was in Peru. But I was like, I came back and I just had this, I went back immediately. They hired me back. And I started working at Magnolia again and just jumped right in. I liked, there was a really good crew there. Still people that I knew and knew people that I really liked. And I just got caught up in the the family of it all. Mm. I really, I don't know, it's just, I just really enjoy restaurant people. There, there was a girl that worked there that I'll never forget. She, she, she was older than I was, and she was happy to be serving her whole life. She loved it, and she had that kind of like diner waitress vibe. Everybody's a sweetheart. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I love. And I just, I don't know. That changed my perspective on that. This doesn't have to be, like be a they job. say. This is my real job. Yeah, you know exactly. that thing that it do, that it can be a real job, and it is a profession, and it is a skill set. Um, and the connections that you make with people can make it, that's what makes it more than just schlepping food. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, when I came back and I went back and I just jumped right in and I had that bond was bonding with my customers and with the other employees, I just got swept back into like, this is where I, this, these are my people. 
So when did you start living intentionally to do your own thing? So, and what did that look like? So when I, when I came back and I gave up on that, I said, I started asking a lot of questions and I just kind of put the loose feelers out, like what places are available? And I started like spending time at home, just like brainstorming. What would I serve? You know, yeah. I mean, literally all I knew is I want a vibe and I want to interact with the customers and I want this to be a place that people can be proud that's part of the Austin community that I'm contributing something towards a vibe that I want to preserve that's slowly kind of slipping away with the dot com yeah. changes and all that. Nothing against it, but just like there was things that I wanted to preserve, this super creative feeling that you got when you came here. And I just wanted to make sure that I was part of preserving that. But that's not a business plan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I got to get down to like, what, I, what am I going to sell? It is your brand though, which is a huge yeah. part of developing your business And I realize plan. that now. I mean, I read, you know, Ben and Jerry's book and how much of what, what they yeah. did was, their, was based on their ethics. And, and, and what you're doing is you're, you're, you're painting the vision, right, of what right. you want to become. And that's what we should do. We should have that vision of what it's going to feel like, what the people and are going to do. And that does give doing. me a leg up and compared to... And you work backwards to, from there. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. I didn't know that I was doing that, but, you know, and everybody, how you're are you going to make money selling yeah. a cup of coffee? And, you know, my dad was like, what that's two bucks 175 what, what? you know <laughs> yeah. and so you know it took me a long time to figure out what the product was going to be so what was the product well besides co- i knew i was going to do coffee because i just that's my thing wait so time out you took a long time to figure out what the product was going to be was this before you opened or you before, had opened and before. then okay so i did a bunch of research looked at other places looked at what was out there but I didn't have restaurant, I didn't have cooking experience. So, and I'm shocked at how little I knew, even though I worked so long in restaurants, just being only in the front. Um, what didn't you know? Just technical stuff about flow. Regulations and stuff like that too, yeah. like the, the other things that we don't think about when opening Mostly the kitchen. Mostly like, okay, so when you make, say I want to serve pot pie in my restaurant because I know that a veggie pot pie is like comfort food or shepherd's pie or something, comfort food. How am I going to serve that? Where do I keep it hot? How do I heat it? Yeah. That what? Are, how are they doing that? So how'd stuff? you learn these things? <laughs> Trial and error. <laughs> fucking, <laughs> fucking up. Excuse my language. <laughs> no, it's, that's there's Asking only one questions. Way. You just got to start though. You picking gotta, people's brains. Exactly. Up. So, funny story. So I was like, maybe I'll do wraps. I hate wraps, but I was like, I don't. Because again, I'm thinking I have the personality and the desire to build a vibe that's going to draw people no matter what I serve. That's what I was really thinking. If I really focus on that and I have good coffee, people will come for the vibe and they'll be happy because like I said, at the time that there wasn't food rest, you would go to a coffee shop and you'd have to leave to go get something to eat. So I thought if I have anything to snack on, people will be happy to have something. So I was looking at wraps just because I don't have culinary chops at the time. So I'm thinking I could probably do cold wrap. I don't know. I was brainstorming on, but there was just something like that's cheesy. Also, there was meat involved because I was just thinking, you know, I'm thinking more from the business perspective. Like, I need to make money, and I don't know, I don't know how well that's gonna. I hadn't considered the vegetarian thing, even though I'd been vegetarian, just because everybody's like that's a bad business model. Why is that? Because you're limiting your well, your niche. But if you are so that at that time, I feel like the 2000s were a time where people were starting to get a lot more aware of their health and because of the internet, because of the Mm -hmm. ability to research and find out what's good, what's bad. So you were actually ahead of the curve. I think Uh, I was just afraid 
And it also takes a little more creative. You have to be a little more creative when you're talking about coming up with things that are going to appeal to the wide mass vegetarian food. That, and I didn't have the culinary chops. And so I thought, well, yeah, I know I can serve a tur- turkey wrap and most people like that, you know. So, but it just kind of something was unsettling about it. I just thought, one, this is boring. Two, I don't eat meat. So how did you eventually settle on vegetarian, vegan food? I just decided that it was in line with my ethics. Okay. It seemed weird for me to make money selling meat when I don't eat meat. It just seemed weird. Yes. I mean, I no, didn't understand that. Like, I, and I don't judge people for, you know, I'm, I'm very open-minded when it comes to everybody has their path. But it just seemed weird. Yes. That my income would come off that yeah. when I've made 30, you know, however many years it was at the time I hadn't eaten meat. And I also, again, went back to the idea of if I'm thinking that people will just eat wraps because they're happy to have anything, then are they going to really even be aware that I just maybe they'll think it's just a small menu yeah. or a simple menu. And so, yeah, I just decided. So this- and there wasn't. Any kind of like vegetarian comfort food. So there's a couple things I want to draw from this. Obviously, we talked about your vision for creating a space. And it was the culture that you were more interested in, not the food, but also your core values. You were creating something that was aligned with who you are and what you valued. And you were doing it subconsciously. I don't think you had a plan to do this, but you just knew you trust your gut. I said, if I'm going to be doing something, it has to be aligned with who I am. And it comes up time and time again on the show. Like your business, the most successful restaurateurs are extending their personal brand into their business. It's easier to show up to something that's an extension of who you are and what you believe than when you're trying to be something to somebody else. Exactly. Right. And I think that, I think guests pick up on you can anybody can serve you food. Yeah. But sometimes they're looking for the bigger picture I'm so too. Happy, I'm so happy you're saying this because we don't serve food. We serve people. Right. Right? And that's what you I think instinctually knew from the very beginning. You weren't focused on the food, you were focused on the people that you wanted to take care of. Right. And uh that's what it's all about. It's about relationships. Uh and if you think like that, I'm serving people, not food, you know. I, mean, I had a chef that was helping me recently, uh just like learning stuff about what I can do to make my kitchen more efficient. And, and that's what he said. Even in the kitchen, when you make your decision, if you think about the guest, you always make the right decision. Yes. And I'd always known that from the front of the house perspective, but he put that in mind. He said, you need to demand that of your cooks too. And I thought, that's really interesting. But really, there's, you know, should I serve that? Is that a little over? Is that a little under? And if I'm thinking about what is the best experience for the guest, then I'm always going to make the right decision awesome we still gotta get into the nitty-gritty i think we've been really good at like the the values of the why yeah. the what you're trying to create the, the the vision i think i said that too many times already whoops uh but <laughs> how did you do it um you started really small i know that much 700 square foot shack um what was how much do you mind me asking can we get into the numbers like how much do you think you would need to get started now then oh well i had eighteen thousand dollars $18,000. So what happened was my grandmother passed away and I inherited a third of her furniture. This is actually the story. <laughs> and none of, my dad, my uncle, and myself inherited the furniture, but we didn't want the furniture. Um, it was, we don't have anywhere to put it. Yeah. It's not our style. Gotcha. Um, things like that. So 
We sold it, and I got that was my cut. <laughs> okay, eighteen thousand. And so that's what I had to work with. So whenever what, I knew you that need? was what you need to get started. Was there like a? You, oh, I'm you so lucky. I'm or? so lucky. So the guy that was there before me, he was kind of like the soup Nazi. Okay. I don't know how he stayed in business, but he was mean. But he had a little cafe called the High Times Tea Bar, and it was um, already furnished with all the stuff and. I told you I didn't know anything about kitchen, so I would have never thought, like, oh. Like, I threw away all the, the portion scoops. So why do you need ice cream scoops back here? I didn't know that that was actually, like, what kitchens use to portion their food correctly. I didn't, I'd never seen that before, so I asked my friend, what is this for? Um, so, but I inherited all the stuff from him. Ultimately, I had a lot of people asking around and looking for me, just if you see anything. It's so different now. You don't need a. You didn't need a realtor. You didn't. Need yeah, to, you just well, had your. It's a small town, so community. I just kind of. Like, I would drive around. I would look what's open, what's being built, what's this, that, and you my. Know, sorry to interrupt. No, don't. Because I feel like we can still function that way, and we should still function that way. But we choose not to. We choose to use the search engine. We we choose to outsource. Well, when, there's all these restaurant groups that are all. I don't know. It just seems so different now. But I feel like there's big restaurant groups groups that are. They, it's this thing where you open multiple restaurants. You don't care if one fails, just trying all different concepts. And so those are the people that get priority for a lot of the spaces and, and the rents have gotten so much higher that it's harder to do something as organic. I feel like, yeah, so, the barrier to entry not, is way maybe higher. not harder, but well, possibly harder, but scarier. I think the barrier to entry has gotten much higher to get into this industry than it would would have been. I mean, in first of all, there's no eighteen thousand yeah, dollars. You can't what, even exactly. like do a month rent in eighteen. Exactly, that doesn't so, even cover your payroll. I mean, I think I so I had people asking around or looking around for me, and my friend had prep cooked there, and he told me they were closing. Okay, so you were were you an exit strategy? Were you so? They were closing regardless of whether or not you came in, but you just kind of had the inside scoop. Yeah, he told me before anyone, before it was really Even known. on the market. And it, um, I went there. He was only open till 2. And I remember I went in there and I opened the door. I saw that it was till, only till 2. I couldn't remember. Is it 3? Is it 2? Got there like 10 till 2. Opened the door and I said, oh, are you closing at 2? And he said, yep. The opposite of how I would do things, but yep. <laughs> and I said, "Well, never mind. I'll just come back." And he goes, "Well, you can come in and get a coffee, but I'll kick you out at two either way." So I was so curious. So I sat there for ten, fifteen minutes while he they were wrapping things up, trying to get the nerve to try to figure out how do you ask somebody if they're going out of business without seeming like a vulture. Yeah. I just was like, I don't want to offend the guy, but I really want to know before someone else finds out. Yeah. And so how'd you ask? I couldn't ask him, but I got lucky and someone asked some, I saw someone go up to pay and they said, I guess I need to cash in my frequent customer card because I only have till I think it was April to use it. And that's when I, I was, was sitting right there. So I knew, Oh, what's happening in April. And then he said, oh, we're closing. And then I, once that happened, I told him, Oh, that's weird. I'm looking for a space. And he was, he was, Terrible with guests, but he was a nice person. Okay. And he was very helpful and sweet to me, and he hooked me up with the landlord. And, yeah, I, was, I just knew before anyone else, so I was able to get so in So this there. was turnkey. You had everything you needed. So he was selling everything for 5000 tables, equipment, uh, 1970s espresso machine with matching orange grinder. Nice. <laughs> I was like, he had all this. I mean, it was old, but he had, you know, it was ready where I could just basically move in. Yeah. Um, 
give or take a few small things. And um, we negotiated down to 3500 So I got all – I mean, I still have stuff that I got from him. Man. I think these table bases might be <laughs> – I'm not sure. But there's a couple of things to draw from this story so far. And I think, you know, have that network. Get out there, engage with people in your community, keep your ear to the ground. And then the other thing is be someone's exit strategy, right? Uh, you got a great deal because you got in there at the right time. You, right. This guy wanted to wash his hands of a situation and you made that process. He already made his mind up. He's out. Now you're making it easier for him to get out and you can get great deals that way. And I don't, I don't know if it was turnkey, but you opened mostly. I mean, eighteen thousand. I painted. I cleaned up a yeah. few things. I rearranged some things in the kitchen. But ultimately, I kind of just did what he did with my. <laughs> I don't even think I had a sign. I was like, "Where now?" This. I remember someone opened the door and said, "I heard the mean guy left," and I was like, "Yeah,", yeah. <laughs> but because you couldn't tell, right? Except for the fact that when you went in, because it looked the same from the outside. So, um, I mean, tons of great stuff there. Let's talk about scaling it. So you went from literally kind of you took over what sound like what's a, a good word? Can I add something real quick? Yeah, please, I please. just want to say that if you are looking to open something, I think you shouldn't diminish the fact that a potential property owner will be inspired by your passion. And I feel like because I did not have good credit. I don't even think I had. I think I was a ghost when I opened the place. Now, I know times have changed with that, but. Ultimately, I think that they took a risk on me. I never owned a restaurant. I didn't have credit. I was just a waitress because they knew that I had the drive. Mm. And I think they were really impressed the by fire the fire in the, your eye, Yes. Right? And I think you should – don't don't be afraid to communicate that to someone. I can't guarantee that someone's going to say, okay, you can have crappy credit and but a good personality. But I think that they feel – because ultimately that drive is what's going yeah. to take you through thick and thin. Exactly. And that's what's taking you this far. And just to kind of create some perspective, 700 square feet location. What's this location now, square feet? Uh, 32 with the patio. So like more than what, four? I think I, I'm 28 inside. That. Yeah. Like you, you've scaled this thing. You, it was maybe oversized. It was like a trailer. You're recognized nationally now. You know what I'm saying? And you're a staple in the Austin community. So you can scale, you can start small. I think that's the other big thing to take away from this. We are dreamers in this industry, right? We want to do big things. Big things don't happen tomorrow. Big things happen after 18 years or right. for you it was for 2014 when you opened this location or uh no 2010 2010 so we okay. were 10 years over there and we've been eight years here okay but like still 10 years it took you to to grow your brand to grow your community to to find clarity to get better at what you do right so what was it like in the early days was it take me through what that looked like oh god over there yeah <laughs> oh man it get was, up on the mic too. it was crazy <laughs> um Literally, we opened up and I had done all this research for this. Okay, I was like, I don't want to do home fries because everybody in Austin does home fries. So I want to do some sort of hash brown because besides Denny's, no one's doing Your hash that. browns are amazing, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and so I, this was before internet. I mean, there was internet, but not everybody had it. So I didn't have internet in my house. So I would go to the library and the bookstore and fish through cookbooks. And I found this recipe and this cheesy, it's like one of those cookbooks you would find in the aisle on the side of the okay. grocery store. And I found this, I mean, it's not the ultimate recipe that we use, but the general idea of how to do it. And I literally was open and I had not figured out how, again, how I'm going to serve it to, like, I can make it, but you don't, <laughs> how do you scale it's this? not when yeah. you make p- things at home where you immediately serve it and yeah. it's, you have to serve it again hot after it's cooled. 
And I didn't know any of that. And I was like, am I going to use a mic? I mean, literally, I was like, am I going to microwave this? Like, what? There was no grill. There was no. So we used a George Foreman, I think, for six years, five years, <laughs> maybe four years. I don't know. And it worked because I didn't. It was a tiny kitchen. There was 200 square feet in the kitchen. We were dishwashing, prepping, and cooking on a home stove with a George Foreman grill. Wow. That's so, amazing. Props to George Foreman because that should make good grilled cheese. I'm not going to lie. So, but as you can imagine, it's full really fast and it wasn't keeping up. And even though we could kind of get a decent product out of it, they break and, you know, it's not ultimately commercial grade. But this was literally, I was already open and I had not figured that part out. So, <laughs> I, you know, what so really, was a lot of trial and error. What really interests me about you is the sense of community that you've developed. So, I really want to hone in on that because I think that's where we're going to learn the most yeah. from you. You opened up. Um, people would say, is the mean guy gone? And, yeah. and I'll start with you being like, yep, it's me now. Take us from there and how you started to, what was your intention with building that community and how d- did you build that community? I want to say it's almost cult-like, you know, like not cult-like, but like in the yeah. sense that there is a clear like demographic that I feel like you existed for. Uh, a lot of people kind of give you like I've seen the word hippie probably more times yeah. than I cared to in reading and researching yeah. like that you were this. Now they call us hipsters. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can't win. But I don't know. I f- I feel like one of my missions is to have a diverse clientele, mm-hmm. and it, I don't mind the word hipster or whatever. That's kind of overused, but it bothers me because I feel like we do have a more diverse clientele than it appears on the surface. Um, we have older people that come here. Yeah, that's true. You know, we have yuppies that come here. Yeah. Um, but I realized that I I don't know when or how or why, but I wanted everybody that came in to feel welcome, mm. no matter what. How did you do that? How did you create that sense of welcomeness? Just I would do anything that they wanted me to do, basically. Give me an example of the most extreme thing you've done to make somebody feel welcome. Oh, so many things. But like, for instance, when there was no power and the neighborhood didn't have any refrigeration and we couldn't make espresso drinks, I heated milks all over the burners and made hot chocolate for the neighbors to come for free. Um, I'm just, I was like, it looked like we had nothing we could sell. And I was like, I'm telling, I'm going to do something yeah. because they all want to come here. They all want to hang out. They want to visit and I want to take care of them. Mm. So, you know, and over time I've, that's been like a little bit of a challenge. Like how do you have high volume and consistency and take care of people, but also draw lines on what works for your team and what works for the flow of the restaurant? Because obviously you have to draw boundaries sometimes, yeah. but I had no boundaries. I was like, I will do flip flops for you, <laughs> you know, back, back flips for you yeah. until you're happy, you know? And so I just, I don't know why I just had that desire to make everybody feel like what they what their experience was perfect. So as you started developing this community around you, building your reputation, getting your regulars and business started to pick up. Cause I'm sure it wasn't gangbusters out of the gates. I'm sure it took no. some time to scale. I into- remember the first day we sold 500. I said, I think if we sold 500, I'm going to cry $500. It felt amazing. I was like, <laughs> this is so many people came in today. So how did you scale the business as you scaled the volume as more and more people fell in love with what you're doing? Mm. I mean, ultimately, what happened was we had kind of a one-page regular sheet of paper menu menu that we had, and um, but that 
I realized that I did kind of have the culinary curiosity. Okay. I think that um, I got stuck in the back because I had a friend that worked for me who worked in coffee and okay. I, I hadn't. So I went in the back because I at least worked in restaurants and she hadn't. And I had to learn how to do it. Okay. So I was coming up with the ideas for the recipes. So I ended up being the cook. Okay. How long were you the cook for? Oh, all the way till I still cook sometimes, but okay. I was the cook the whole time at the old place. Um, but I was the main cook with one, a couple of my friends from Magnolia full time for a long time at the old location. And, um, so I would try things because the menu was small. And I thought, we have this. Why don't yeah. I try this? And I, I would ask a lot of questions. And I feel like to some degree I had an advantage because I think one of the strengths that I've had as a restaurant owner is that I don't have this overzealous pride in my cooking skills. So I'm very open to yeah, improving and trying. Improving. Yeah. I taste it on the staff. They eat food. They spend money. They know what. Do you like this? What would you do different? And there's none of this like, no, this is my recipe. Uh, yeah. There's like a, a, a sense of no ego, right? That's just, exactly yeah. what it is. And I, I mean, I'm proud, proud of what I have. Sometimes I'm like, how is this happening that people are <laughs> eating food? I didn't even know what I was doing. <laughs> but ultimately, I think they are my ideas, but I've re- they've ping-ponged off of so many people because I utilize the people that I know that know more about things than I do and, and the staff. And the guests. And because I've had that open relationship, I've been able to fine-tune things to what people like. Beautiful. So I feel really fortunate in that way. I think it's been really useful in the success of the product. You know, that other aspect is like, give me all the feedback you want, mm. you know. But um, anyway, it was... It was real tight in there. Yeah. What about the time, the transitional time from you scaled out of your space? Like the shack down the street couldn't handle you anymore. When did you know you were ready for more? Uh, after 10 years, how did you know that you needed something the next level, to, to take it to the next level? Well, we didn't have any storage, so there was no walk-in. And it was just becoming, it was very stressful. The building was very, <clears throat> it was super hot. I think there was some sort of air balancing issue with the hood vent and the size of the building and the fact that the doors were constantly open and it was really hot in the kitchen. And that place was not set up to be, even though it was a restaurant before, it was a very, very low volume, low key place open till two. So we were beating the place to death. Yeah. The floors were ruined. There was the kitchen had no subfloor. So I had to, I was just constantly doing repairs on the building and, on the weekends, we'd have a six-hour nonstop line out the, wow. out the door. And I would run the cash register because I would think it's unreasonable to ask anyone else to ask the same question over and over and over. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? How do you want your eggs? Eggs or tofu? Well, it was like I just – after I, I would think that. This is insane. Yeah. And because it was one – you know, it's counter service. You'd have one person doing yeah. that. And so I, I knew I'm the one that can do this and still be like, Hey, how are you? You know, and that's another point where it's like a little side note, but like, don't ask anybody to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Right. So if you're doing that one job, that's like the most ridiculous job. Um, if you're willing to do it and to show the people that you're, you're willing to be that person, other people will rise to the occasion. When right. They have to. Um, so keep going. So, so it just got, I remember one time, there was a line and I remember counting that one guy, a regular, he waited like 30 minutes just on the line. And that's when the kind of light bulb went off. I was like, and I felt like I was going so fast. And in order to serve people efficiently, I had this like very kind of 
convoluted but effective system that worked to get the most people their drinks in a timely fashion. And it was just, I, that was when I kind of learned also the whole thing about make sure you say the nice things because I was moving so fast and I had someone say, Hey, how are you? And I realized I was losing some of the Charm, hospitality yeah. part just because I was really just trying so hard to make people not have to wait so long mm-hmm. and the intentions were good, but I was losing that touch. Yeah. And so I realized, okay, I need to back down. I need to find that balance because definitely, you know, people are walking. I mean, literally people would open the door and be like, never mind, walk out because the line was so long. Um, and I was like, okay, I got to figure that out. But I also don't want to lose the other part. So it was just becoming like, I felt like it was a constant struggle to get people, you know, efficiently served. It was also when the weather was bad, people would, wouldn't, who hadn't been there would order food and then have nowhere to sit. Yeah. And it was just. So how did you overcome that struggle? Moving here? Was that the solution? I just started asking around, you know, maybe there's a bigger place. I tried all kinds of things. Um, getting people on board with that system was so hard. felt like you had to be a superhero to work there. Talk about that system being the counter service. Yeah, the way I was running the counter, it were, I could do it really well, but then I tried to train people. You always got to take the drink first, and you got to send it here, and you got to go ask four more people. And it was just people were like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, what? And then the regulars would tell me, you got to train people your system because you're so fast. And I think, I'm trying, but. You know, it was I hard. Think that kind it was of, hard. That's like the evolution of being the business owner. Like you create the systems, the processes, the procedures. So you're not reliant on yourself anymore to be the person that rock. That's the rock and star. I, I know people do it now, but I feel I feel kind of like opposed to the idea of counter service and restaurants. In a way, even though I know people do it, when you want to get a certain level, unless you just want to do a turn them and burn them. Yeah. When you, if you want the combination of things, I kind of feel like it's impossible to do both correctly. And I, I could be, I mean, I, there's definitely a level uh, of I intimacy. Take back. I don't mean to say impossible because there are places I go yeah. to where I feel that. You got to be mindful of it. It definitely felt like if you want to make, I don't know. I felt like there was, you're capped out on how much money you can make unless you're turning and burning. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of cheap stuff, fast kind of stuff. I thought, I thought, yeah, this isn't really what I'm going for. And I didn't feel like we were able to control the flow. So we would go from zero to a hundred, like, you know, like in a restaurant, you yeah. talk to the host, the host takes you. There's these natural steps that put some time between, you know, not just like, I mean, if I'm going, trying to get people out of this line, I'm ringing 10 people in, in like two minutes, yeah, they're, you know, they're so all of a sudden the, the kitchen. kitchen's yeah. like blasted. So I kind of got turned off on that because I felt... Then we'd have, where's my food? Where's my food? Where's my food? You know, things so, like that. So. Ultimately, you, you made the decision to make a change, to scale into your business, or to, the, to, have the, the, to scale into a space that could support the business you were doing. How did you go about that, that process of finding the next opportunity, going from counter service to full service? What was that transition like? Uh, did you find a good opportunity here? Did you get another steal of a deal? Like, how'd that go? Um. I asked her, you know, I had the word out on the street that I was looking for a larger location. And honestly, I was looking everywhere. I wasn't really, I was loosely looking. I wasn't actively, I didn't have a reel or anything, but I was, um, that's not true. I did have one regular who kind of took me to a few places, but we, me and the manager that I had at the time both agreed that it was time. There was no parking there either. That was the other thing. We had like five parking spots. So. And they had taken some of the street parking away, permit parking. And I was like, oh, (laughs) so 
anyway, I think we had 35 employees and these long lines. So I had the word out on the street. And I know the street like the back of my hand. But a guy dropped his cart off and said, I know a place on South First Street that's available. And I drove up and down. This building had sold and was supposed to be condos. And so I wasn't looking at it. Because mm-hmm. I was like, that one's been sold for years. Yeah. I, it was off my radar. Well, apparently it had been sold and then went back on the market. Okay. And he got this property. And he, it was this property, the house next door, and there's a garage apartment in the back. And so they were developing this little area. And he had heard that I was looking. And since I'm, I already had a busy clientele, he dropped his card off. Nice. And so I, I just called him because I was like, if it's near here, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. And it's four blocks away. Nice. So what was that transition like from going to a, a small counter service operation, uh, squeezed in space to a, a decent-sized restaurant? Nightmare. Take us through that nightmare <laughs> and how nightmare. you came out of it. I don't or know if I'm out it. of it yet. <laughs> um, definitely, you know, have more, more good days and bad days for sure. Uh, mostly good. But uh, one... Uh, there's something very organic and people alluring when you call yourself like this DIY kind of place yeah. in a shack that you don't have in a bigger space with table service. And the backlash was the worst. <laughs> so that was a little intense. The backlash? What do you mean the backlash? People were emotionally attached to the space. Uh, okay. So when you said we're moving, people were like, what? Like, So I warned people in advance and I wrote a very heartfelt letter about the reasons why that we weren't we couldn't be we i wanted to be fiscally sound and it was struggling there with the repairs and you know keep having to add this and do that and and the opportunity presented itself close and i'd be able to take care of my staff better and all these things and everybody was really into the idea and theory but then coming over and it's like wait to be seated and don't order from the bar sit at the table and you're, don't whip out your bong on the patio like maybe they might have been doing over there or whatever you know the things that are different in a, a full scale restaurant with families we weren't yeah. getting like you couldn't fit really families there we did get some but it wasn't like here and so the vibe was different um, sitting at a table drinking a cup of coffee only I mean we have this area now but we were at the time this was table service because I didn't I, I figured out kind of a balance eventually mm-hmm. but at first I was like there was a server here, and it's like they would order from the bar and sit in the service section, and they're only making two thirteen an hour. And I'm like, ah, you know. Yeah. And there were actually people that were refusing to take the table service regulars. I don't want to do that. They want to order at the bar or at the counter. and sit in the server section. Their five table section. So how did you combat that? Uh, what the people want and what you needed to do. I, some of it had to just. It was hard, but I had to have faith that the ones that. That ultimately, the ones that were really being that way weren't maybe the right customers. And yep. I hate to say that because I try to accept everybody. You can't, like, I can't. You can't, you can't please everybody. everybody. You no, know, you can't. And it's not fair to my staff to keep letting them be abused by people that don't want. It. And and I had a manager. He moved, but the manager that I had that kind of agreed with me that it's time to get a bigger place. He had moved to California, but he came to visit. We were having dinner, and he basically said, "You just have to have the faith." In a year from now, when people don't have anywhere that has anything like you offer to go to, they'll start coming back. Mm. And it was, but it was hard because, I mean, people said my place looked like Denny's. And you know, <laughs> I don't see that. Yeah, well, we were 700 square feet. So when we put our stuff in here, it when we first it opened, 
it was barren because we didn't have as much stuff now. Like we filled, I mean, I've been like adding art and, yeah. you know, I constantly adding things to the building and filling it in. It has much more vibe, but it was brand new painted. Yeah. You know, the tables were new. I mean, I tried really hard. I paid artists to make everything, the tables, even the countertops, everything. But people just were seeing something that didn't feel as organic as they felt down there. So we've been talking now for over an hour, right? an hour and five minutes of recording time. Anything we can steal from you, a nugget we can grab from you um, on how you've kind of overcome your challenges, maybe how you've transformed who you are today, the biggest changes in your business maybe uh, that you've made to sustain the business you're doing now? For me personally, I'm always, I never rest on my laurels. I feel like that's a fatal flaw that people think. They think, oh, we're super busy, so you don't need to... What, what's happening is working. And I'm always investigating, talking to the guests, talking to the, to the employees, looking at flow issues, looking at pain points for the guests, pain points for the employees. And I just feel like resting on your laurels is like a fatal flaw that a lot of places make. Other, the, I also feel like we've been able to accept a little bit I would go back to old Austin in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, <laughs> but it is what it is. And you kind of have to find not, not compromising your ethics, but a way of growing with the times to some degree. Evolving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Evolving. And it, it is what it is. And the cost, you know, there's different guests. And at first it was hard because I, I was emotionally attached to a certain type of thing, but I also, I'm hoping that I'm still bringing that and people are experiencing that, but also like, this is what people want now. This is, a, and being a little bit flexible in that area. Got you. I've loved this conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investors investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to EthicsSuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there if you listen to restaurant unstoppable i'm sure you've heard me say it before but i'll say it again there are two things that you need to let determine your growth the first thing that's people the second thing that's cash flow and we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because i'm working with cashflowtool.com the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business cashflowtool.com is simple 
powerful, and predictive. It's simple because it requires no data entry. It's always up to date, and it works on any device, anywhere. It's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar, activity feed, and anomaly detector, you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises. And it's predictive because you know your cash flow today, and you can anticipate it tomorrow. Head over to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success i'm gonna say um acceptance acceptance what's your biggest weakness too sensitive too sensitive what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process what you hmm, interview process let's think you're building your team what are you looking for um i usually ask people what they dislike the most about their other job what are you looking for manage expectations manage expectations yeah so if the thing that they hated about their other job is exactly how we do things here then there's probably a problem (laughs) uh what is your biggest challenge today again being too sensitive how are you overcoming that i don't know i'm trying to have faith i'm trying to have faith that you know the work that i've put in and the the kindness that i try to put out to people is going to reflect back on me what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team to never judge the customers. Mm, what to be it, open-minded when you're dealing with people that maybe aren't from your same. Why is that so important? Because you have this one moment where someone stepped out of their comfort zone, their Starbucks, their chain restaurant, and came in. Or their non-vegetarian restaurant. Yeah. That's a huge thing that happens yeah. here. And they're not going to come back if you don't treat them. They're not, they don't feel welcome beautiful uh what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team so this is something that's common within your four walls but not common within the industry so kind of similar to core value but more like something you do emotion you mean a actual physical a way that you take the service to like the next level well one i have a very weird thing about when people bring outside food or if people order meat i'm very particular about how people respond to that so you know i had people saying things like this is a vegetarian restaurant and things like that and i'm i'm very particular about people making sure that they're that we don't care yeah that it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. that you're not a jerk for eating meat and i want people to feel it's so important that they feel in jet so my staff is very highly trained on exactly what to say when that happens so what do you what do you tell them to say I let them say that most of our customers are not vegetarian. All vegetarians that live here eat here. Um, recommend, they know the, the safer things to recommend. Yeah. Um, but I also tell them that I could t- to tell them I totally understand if you're uncomfortable and you want to go somewhere else. We would love for you to stay and I can help you pick some things, but we're not offended if you. Got you. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Uh, setting the table. All right. What's the biggest <laughs> lesson you got from that book? 
the the whole networking thing. I was just like ABC when, always be connecting the yeah, dots. Yeah, so right? I was just like this guy and I have the totally opposite <laughs> kinds of restaurants. But I feel like I want to have a drink with him because we're cut from the same exact block. Yeah, you're gonna have to wait in line to get a drink with Danny. I, I think know the list is pretty long. But I, I really was like, everybody kept saying that book, read that book, read that book, and then I started reading. I was like, eh, this is not my kind of thing. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, what is one thing that you feel restaurant owners don't do well enough or often enough? Um, meetings with their staff. Mm, I love it. And why is that so important? One, they need to be heard. Um, and it, time goes by so fast. If you don't have regular meetings, all of a sudden you turn around and it's a telephone game and there's confusion and... I think they really just want to be heard. How often, th- how often do you think we should meet? I mean, I think monthly is good if you can, at least quarterly. Yep. I think monthly and then probably weekly, biweekly for management team. Got you. Uh, what is one technology you've adopted that has had a huge impact on operations, efficiency, communication, anything of that nature? Oh, technology. I would say probably the hosting app that we use. What are you using? We use no weight. Ooh, how has that had an impact on your operation? I think it's been, I really like it because the paper and pencil hosting thing, you make so many errors. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the fact that with the no weight, it allows you to show up, you get on the wait list ahead of time. Um, so you can get here when your table's ready. So you're not wasting your time. It's I, th- a service. I actually say it should be called less weight because it's not an exact <laughs> thing. <laughs> the name is a little deceiving, but ultimately, yeah, it, it helps us a lot on the weekends when it's really busy. So you don't get so many people crammed in, especially if you've got bad weather, someone can exactly. still get on the wait list and they come in, they check in the host. All they have to do is be here. I've had to retrofit it for our needs because there are a lot of no shows. But ultimately, once you learn how it works, I feel like it's been really, I wish, I mean, we looked, they mentioned it to us a long time ago and I thought, felt telephone numbers, we can't even write the number of guests down correctly. And I wish we would have done it then because it's made things so much more smooth. Yeah, that's one that comes up a lot in the show. It's a great service. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? I think so. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurant would be lost with your departure. But you could leave three pieces of wisdom behind. Three things you know to be true about your success and that will make the industry and humanity better. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Three things you know to be true. Um, not to say that I do this, but I really feel like you got to take time for yourself. Take you got to take yourself. time for yourself or you drive your staff crazy. Um, uh, and your mind crazy. Cause yeah. that's the thing. You can always be improving mm-hmm. and you got to call it at some point where it's okay where it is for a minute. Right. And that's hard. So that's number one. Take time for yourself. What's number two? Um, Never take your business for granted. Never take your business for granted is number two. What's number three? Gosh. Um, and it's, I mean, this goes for across the board, not just restaurants, but you got something to learn from everybody. Mm. That's one thing I want to nod to you for. I feel like you've been really open to, to learning from everybody to, to, to go out to outside resources when you, when you, like you you're not a chef right like but you went out and you you went to your guests you went to uh consultants right mm-hmm. and you and you sought you, you sought out the knowledge and i think a lot of people swallow a certain level of pride you know they they don't want to get the help they don't want to ask for help but why not you know like why not get out there and 
in yeah. talk I mean, around. I think a lot of people, you know, that open restaurants are chefs or maybe somebody that was, you know, a really great manager or something. And since I came from, I kind of skipped a few steps, I think that was why. But it, I think that I see people who are suffering that own restaurants that are stuck in, really stuck in their ways because mm-hmm. maybe that's how they learned in culinary school. Yeah. Or, and since I don't have that background, I think it actually ended up being kind of the key to my success. I really do. I do think that's that. awesome. Leslie, I've loved this conversation. I hope so. I hope so. You've been great. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody in Austin that you think is doing it right, that's super successful, that you admire, that you think would be a great guest mentor on the show? Oh, gosh. Um, there's so many. You can name more than one. <laughs> it's hard to say, but... Um... I look at what Brandon Hunt's doing. Have you met him already? He's on the show tomorrow. Okay. Zane and Brandon are coming on the like show. Because they seem like they, I'm just, I'm thinking, gosh, all these missed opportunities because <laughs> yeah. they just never stop. Yeah, they're crushing and it. And yeah. they're, they're nice. I think they seem to treat their employees well. Um, and then I would, I'm going to say Kent Cole. Kent Cole? Uh, he's the owner of Magnolia. And I never forget that every time he was there, he always said hello. And if I was leaving when he was there, he always says said thanks for your hard work and he wasn't like me he wasn't working in the shop he worked in the office but he was a kind owner and respectful to employees and i think he would make a good guess that was kent cole kent cole kent cole look out and coming after you i'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how can we follow what you're up to the best way to connect or maybe come join your team um most probably facebook and instagram all right i'll have the links in the show notes this is episode 500 and 59 head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash five five nine you'll find those links or just search for leslie martin leslie thank you so much again for oh, coming on you. the show it's fun you're a blast to talk to there is no questioning my girl you are unstoppable yay <laughs> <laughs> cheers There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Leslie Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your knowledge, some great takeaways in today's conversation. I think the big one for me was that just that drive. People will pick up on your drive. So if you have that drive, take a chance. You'll be surprised on who will place a bet on you. And don't wait for opportunities to come to you go make opportunities happen uh keep your ear to the ground uh listen for companies that might be going out of business when they are going out of business you you could be their exit strategy right and then again i love this idea of starting small and scaling over time you don't need that 100 seat restaurant tomorrow start with the 12 seat restaurant today uh and scale into it over time and i love the emphasis we put on uh building community building relationships uh you're not building a restaurant. You're not building a brick and mortar. You're building all the other things that happen within the four walls of that restaurant. Like we said, the community, the relationships and that culture, right? Awesome stuff. All right, guys, I got to remind you to reach out to me, Eric at restaurant Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Uh, keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher radio coming. They help so much. Uh, They really help with the ranking of the show. And also, I really love hearing how the show 
is serving you and the benefits that you are getting from listening. Because I, I, you know, I, I just publish these this, these these episodes, and I don't uh, know the impact they're having with you. So when I get that feedback, it really helps reinforce what I'm doing here at Restaurant Unstoppable, and it makes it all worth it. So thank you for those reviews. But the best way to support this podcast and this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing it. So if you know of anybody who's aspiring to be great in this industry, put this sucker on their radar. Um, All right. We got some great stuff coming at you the rest of the week. Uh, So stay tuned. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I guess that's it for now. Until next time, peace out.